You will sleep better than you have ever slept. You've never been this relaxed. Are you ready to change your life? I'm Rusty Diamond, certified hypnotist. You don't need to leave your house. You can stay in your bed. You can stay in your favorite chair. You just need a computer or your phone. You can get a hold of me. Stay at home. I'll make your life better. Hypnosis is great.com. It's Rusty Diamond, motherfucker. It's Rusty Diamond, motherfucker. Yo, man. Boom, Miss Rusty. What's up, everyone? It is Monday. Monday, I believe it is Monday. That's what the people tell me. That's what the paper says. The newspaper, right? Like, there is a newspaper here. Um, I don't even know. Uh, maybe there's a newspaper person that comes by and drops off the newspaper. I don't know what the newspaper is called here. So, uh, information fact tons this morning thank you everyone for being here on the rusty diamond podcast network welcome to the podcast the public access podcast out of pennsylvania the podcast yeah thank you everyone for being here and you know doing your monday or maybe it's a different day of the week you're listening to this later if you're listening to it and you're like i wonder what this guy looks like i want to like see what everyone looks like here you can check it out on youtube but if you're watching this on YouTube and you go, ah, I fucking hate looking at this guy's face. I'd rather just hear his voice because I like the content. You can go anywhere you listen to podcasts, probably unless you have some hipster obscure one. Then I'm probably am not on that. But I'm on a lot of them. Gosh darn it. So it's time for me to bring on my special guest. And my special guest is right here and right now. And my special guest right here and right now is Joel McKay. How you doing, Joel? Good, good. How you doing, Rusty? Good. I'm pretty, pretty good. Pretty good. It's yeah, Monday, man. I like my Mondays. So, uh, yeah, I like my Mondays. Like uh, I like my coffee or something like that. Uh, yeah. Whatever, whatever. Some insert some punchline here. Um, yeah. So. So okay, so we were talking before. So you're up in in Prince George. So you're you're up there. You're up uh, close to the Yukon, then. Yeah, it's about halfway up British Columbia. So it's that's it. We're about we're about well, actually, you know what? We're closer to Vancouver than we are the Yukon by driving distance. Wow. Put it that way, but it's uh, it, well, it's like a big province, right? So you know, it takes ten hours to get to any major city. I think Whitehorse. If I were to drive from Prince George to Whitehorse, it'd be five, four, four, so 13 hours or something like that to get up there. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. And so do you, do you do these drives ever or are you pretty, yeah. uh, stay in, in, in your place? Uh, or... well, 
No, my, my job, my, so my day job, um, so I run an economic development organization that serves all of Northern BC, which is like actually 75% of the province, believe it or not. Um, and so part of the gig is driving around. So like we, you know, occasionally think nothing about driving four hours for, you know, a two hour meeting or, and then four hours back or, you know, ripping out to Terrace or Prince Rupert, that's a six or eight hour drive. Or uh, we were talking about Bella Coola before. I once, one time I spent three days traveling in December to get in and out of Bella Coola for a two hour meeting. So, you know, it happens. <laughs> but you get to see, you get to see British Columbia, which is, uh, I love it. I, I love this part of the world. I love traveling around. It's an adventure. So, so I, I don't complain. Yeah. I mean, I, I love driving up in there. All these, I mean, like, It'd be the most random places, but I mean, it's probably not as random to you, but I mean, it was, uh, it was so cool just to like, and everything was a huge drive. There was nothing, yeah, nothing close. So, I mean, got to, uh, spend a lot of time with friends and, uh, were you, are you usually driving alone then? Um, uh, it depends. I have a lot through the years, but there's times where I've got colleagues with me and, and, uh, those are the best because, you know, you, we always say in our business, you know, you don't, uh, the best way to get to know somebody is, is road time. If you're not getting along with somebody or you're trying to figure somebody out, the best way to solve that is road time. So that's often a prescription for, for HR issues. If you got two people that aren't getting along as you, you conspire to get the two of them into a vehicle together and send them out somewhere into the outback of British Columbia for a couple of days. And nine times out of 10, uh, they come back with a really strong relationship. And the one time that they don't, well, at least they figured each other out and, and enough to work. <laughs> time to get a new job. Yeah, pretty time, much. Yeah. Time yeah. to do something different. And I mean, like, yeah, how many movies have they made off of stuff of that nature? Uh, yeah, you got to put these two guys out on the road and, uh, oh, I, I hate you. And then at the end, uh, yeah, something good always happens. And so what what are you doing when you're on these? You have all this time, uh, you know, even let's say like a four to six hour drive. What what are you doing? Are you, If you're. Uh, if you're by yourself, let's say you're by yourself, what are you yep. doing for four to six hours? On the drive? On the drive, yeah. Um, podcasts, sometimes audiobooks, sometimes music, sometimes just quiet and thinking. You know, I I moonlight as as a fiction writer, so so it's road time can be really good for me to you know, just get out and, and sort of watch the landscape roll by and, and work through, you know, a plot problem or a character problem or whatever it is that I'm trying to figure out in the story I'm working on. So and, for me, I find like, it sounds, you know, like, I don't know if it sounds hoity toity or weird or what, but like, I, I find getting out on the land in like fills me up. Like it, it's actually creatively inspiring to, to drive around. So, um, that's part of the reason why I call this this part of the world home. It's not just that I love living in Prince George. I do love living in Prince George, but the, actually the real attractant is that I get access to all these other places in Northern BC um, that you just otherwise wouldn't because it takes so damn long to come up here if you don't live up here. Right. Um, and so are you, you know, stopping and pulling out your typewriter and, uh, 
being like, okay, well, or, or, have you gotten pretty good at driving with your typewriter and being, being able to multitask no, and do no, both yet? We, uh, we, I, the, the one downside is that if you come up with a really good idea on the road, you, you need to actually hold that on onto that in your head. I mean, you could pull over and take notes, but usually on those drives, you're kind of trying to make good time and get, get to that place. But the bigger issue is that the highways up here are not like interstates. Like it's, it's a two lane, it's a two lane highway that's twisting through mountain passes and along big rivers. Right. And we get six months of winter here. So, you know, it can be dicey driving conditions if you're caught out in a winter storm or whatever it is. So, and there's big animals. So you got to keep your eyes peeled for moose and bear and, and deer and elk and all kinds of things that could be crossing, crossing the highway. So uh, driving in northern BC is not for the faint of heart. Um, there's long distances between communities where there's no cell service, there's no, there's no homes. It's nothing but wilderness um, for you know 100 kilometers before you get to the next town, um, uh-huh. and you got to keep your eyes peeled uh, because there's not all, only the other traffic that's kind of coming at you in in the lane right next to you. Often, you know, big semi trucks, you know, pulling logs or or moving material or whatever it is. Um, but there's also the animals and the crazy drivers that you also have to watch out for who like to who seem to think that driving up north means that there's no rules. Um, and, you know, those of us who live here are like, no, it'd be nice if you followed the rules. So. So, yeah, yeah, I have to wait. The, the, the short answer, man, is I got to wait <laughs> until I get to my destination and then I rapidly try and write down whatever you know things i thought were good ideas at the time so what what are you doing do you have like uh do you go with a legal pad do you have a a notebook do you have uh sticky notes do you use your phone or do you pull out your laptop yeah usually phone yeah phone and laptop um so i've always got running notes on on my phone um for whatever stories i'm working on um and then usually if i'm in the midst of something like i'll trade a word file back and forth between my work laptop and my personal laptop so if i'm hitting the road i can keep working on it because you know the other thing is you, you end up in um it's kind of a benefit but when you drive around you go to these places there's a lot of times where you got to overnight um before you head back the next day or maybe you're doing a couple days out there for the day job and so you got evenings where you know you could be like what are you going to do you're going to sit and watch old reruns of matlock in in your hotel room or are you going to try right. and get some, get some work done so for me um those those nights in the hotel are actually pretty productive for writing i can just sort of you know, buckle down and I don't have any distractions. I, I don't have anywhere else to be. I'm going to be there that night anyway. And, and so having the laptop uh, is, is pretty handy for making progress on whatever I'm trying to write. So are you ever like, I don't know, like stuck anywhere? Like you said, you got six months of winter. Are you, or is it like, cause that's what I thought Minnesota was going to be like, I was like, Oh dude, okay. I'm just going to be snowed in for fucking, six months of the year um or is it like you can still kind of get out everywhere anytime you want you can get out anywhere anytime you want the um i have been stuck though like there's been times where 
you know, we've had to uh, stop on the way back from somewhere and get a get a hotel in a in a road uh, before we get to our destination. For we have to get a hotel for the night because the the driving conditions in a in a winter storm are just too dangerous to be on the road. And so that's happened more than once. Or there's a big accident that on the highway that'll shut down the highway for you know twelve fifteen hours. Well, you're not going to wait for that, especially in the winter. And then there's been times where, you know, you're driving through the Rockies in the winter and in a blizzard and you might be like, I, I can remember one instant where the snow was so heavy coming through the Rockies that we were pushing snow with the bumper of the car, like coming, coming over a rise. Like it was, it was Whoa. probably shouldn't have, have driven that day, but it, we, it was impossible to know what the weather was going to be like in the mountains until we got into it. And then you're stuck because you're in the mountains and there's no cell service and there's nowhere to shelter. So, so yeah, you get, you get stuck at times, but the funny thing that I learned, because I'm, I'm originally from Vancouver, so I was born and raised in, on the oh, coast. Okay. And uh, the weather down there is pretty temperate. It's pretty easy going year round. You don't get much of winter up here there. It's changing now, but you know, what's true is that once it gets cold, um, it stays cold and the conditions are really, they're as good for driving as they are in the summer. So, oh, okay. Yeah, when you get down to, you know, minus 10, minus 20 or, or colder, like the, the pavement almost gets sticky. Yep. So uh, the conditions are as good as driving around in, in the summer. So um, you, you can get around pretty easy. Uh, that's kind of how Minnesota was. It's just like, it's just business as usual and it's yeah. Yeah, negative 20 degrees out or whatever. And it's like, yeah, it's okay. funny. In Vancouver, they have snow days. So when I was a kid, if you got like, you know, half a foot of snow for for maybe even only four inches, you'd get up in the morning and you would listen to the radio or you'd watch TV. And hopefully, you know, your school district would be on the the radio as being shut down for that day and you get a free snow day. And in Vancouver, like four to six inches of snow is a big deal. And like the whole city shuts down. But in Prince George, you know, if we got a foot and a half or two feet of snow overnight and it was minus 30 out, everybody's still going to school and work. Like there's no such thing as a snow day up here. And so yeah. I, I found that pretty funny when I moved up here. Yeah. I mean, it was same thing in Portland, uh, you know, just the littlest yeah. amount and they didn't use salt on the road there. Um, I think they might now, but um, just until recently they didn't use salt. So it was like, well, you get like just that much snow and it's like, all right, shut everything down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it actually it, it actually doesn't take much to really screw up a city if you don't know how to handle a winter storm when it arrives, right? So places like yeah, yeah Portland, Seattle, Vancouver, they really struggle when when winter kind of shows up because they do they get winter often enough for it to be a problem, but not often enough to actually invest, you know, time and thinking into, you know, putting the machinery and equipment in place to actually manage a storm. So so yeah. we always we always laugh every time um probably right across the country every time Vancouver's on the news for a bad winter storm the rest of Canada's kind of just laughing like well you know it's Canada like what what, what yeah. did you think was going to happen right right um so did you live in Vancouver what growing up or were you like in a suburb or all over so born and born and kind of raised in in uh, a town that's right next to vancouver called burnaby and then oh, uh, burnaby yep. right next right. To, yeah right next to that port moody coquitlam port coquitlam but poco you know, man yeah poco yeah through poco, yeah. Um, through work or school 
and living. I, I, I'm one of those people that actually lived or worked in every municipality in the lower mainland at some point in time. And the last place I lived before I moved up to Prince George was just outside of downtown Vancouver in a little neighborhood called South Granville. And, okay, I, and yeah. I worked downtown for a paper at the time. So, so yeah, kind of experienced the gamut of it and love that place. It's a great, it's a great city. It's a lot of fun. It's beautiful. So did they just say like, Hey, you need, you got this, do they transfer you? Do you find something new? And then you ended up going like, you're going to go to Prince George. You're like, wait, what? Yeah, pretty much, man. Like the, um, so I, <clears throat> so my gig at the time, so this is 12 years ago now, I was a journalist for a, a business newspaper in Vancouver and, and I covered, um, mining, oil, gas, forestry, fisheries, some agriculture. That was kind of my gig. And when you do that work, it, you travel, um, because you, you want to see mines and sawmills and gas plants so that you can report on them to the business community and what's going on with them. And, and so that led me up here. And I had never really traveled up north in Canada before, or certainly not very far in British Columbia. I'd made it probably as far as Kamloops previous to that, which is not very far from, from Vancouver, if we're being honest. And um, I fell in love with it. And, and so it took me, it was about two years of traveling up as a journalist for stories and just fell in love with the lifestyle, the people, the place. I'm a big outdoors guy. So I love, I love fishing, um, particularly fly fishing. And this is a Mecca for that. And I was looking for a change and an adventure. And I don't know if you've heard, but Vancouver is a ridiculously expensive city to live in. And it's difficult to get ahead there especially on a journalist salary. So I made the decision uh, to pull the plug on journalism because the future of that industry wasn't looking all that bright 12 years ago. Um, and it's still not, sadly. Uh, and, and so moved into working for the organization I work for now, which is an economic development trust for, for all of Northern BC. And it was a bit of a natural migration. I went from journalism to public relations for that for the trust here in in prince george and then was fortunate enough to take over as ceo uh about eight years ago so i've i've been really lucky i've had a good ride and but it's funny like when i told my friends hey i'm i'm moving to prince george people are like what the fuck is wrong with you like you've got a good job you live in vancouver it's one of the most livable cities in the world like we would have thought if you're gonna move you'd go to you know toronto or ottawa maybe calgary like what are you doing going north? Nobody goes north. Did you, have you heard Prince George is the armpit of British Columbia? Like, again, Joel, what the fuck is wrong with you? Why would you go there? And I and so I, I kept telling them, I'm like, no, like, actually, like, it's great up there, despite what you've heard. And, and so, like, I, you know, I keep saying this. Nobody believes me. Nobody believes me. Um, so I move up anyway. And um, people started to visit um, friends, family. And after a little while, they're like, shit, man this place is nice. It's really nice up here. How come we've never heard about this? I'm like, exactly. I'm like, this is, this is my point, right? Like uh, we don't do a good job talking about some of these places. So anyway, so I've been here ever since. Which is kind of good. Um, that's something that, uh, so like, I don't know, like, so like Portland, I think in the seventies, maybe um, the governor of the state he used to have a motto that was visit but don't stay and um 
Yeah. And then, but then, you know, everyone was like, uh, finds out how nice it is. And then a lot of people end up yeah, showing up and, uh, but I don't know. I mean, you got to have people that are pretty committed to go and move up to Prince George. So I guess it's not quite like, yeah, know, going to put, yeah which is great. Yeah. It's, <clears throat> it's not for everybody. Like I'll, uh, and I, I say that to people like, look, if you're, if your lifestyle is going to, you know, Broadway plays, all the time and and live music seven seven nights a week um and you want you know world you want a city where you know triple a talent uh cruises through here for shows and stuff all the time this isn't that place like it's a city of 80 80 000 people maybe a hundred thousand on you know when we've got an event going on or or it's busy for for work in the area um and so you do like we've got hockey teams and you can go watch hockey you can go there's a there is a theater company here so you can go watch stage plays there's a symphony orchestra you can do all those things there's music festivals um but it's not like being in you know a toronto and montreal and uh, new york right and nobody's trying to claim that right if you want to live in a place like this it's and it's because you like a smaller center that has the amenities and services good for raising a family but truly your rationale for living, you know, 10 hours from the nearest city of, of similar or larger size is you like the outdoors. You like that lifestyle. And so yeah. I would, I would say to people like, it's not winter you should be afraid of. If you're thinking about moving to a place like this, it's, it's your own ability to, you know, reinvent your life and, and have a life that's more outdoors. And if, if you want that, if you want the adventure of that, um, then this is probably a pretty good place to come. Yeah, and like Minnesota, a lot of people were just waiting for the winter because they wanted to go ice fishing. Yeah. yeah. Um, stuff like that. There's like set up there on the frozen lake and they got all these little fucking tents and stuff all yeah. over the place. And Yeah, yeah, that's um, pretty popular here too. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a winter city. One of the things that I love doing is cross-country skiing. And so we've got really good cross-country skiing facilities here. Uh, fat biking has gotten really popular because so there's a big mountain biking community in this town. And they in the last, I would say the last seven, eight years, they've kind of decided they don't like mountain biking only part of the year. They want to mountain bike year round. So now they've got fat bikes and trails are getting groomed through the winter. And so it's, um, and yeah, there's ice fishing you know it's different species than you'd get in minnesota for sure but um yeah lots of lakes and people like to get out there have a fire on the lake and and you know do some ice fishing and hang out it's it's pretty fun yeah it's a pretty good deal and so has that made it into any of your stories that sort of uh life uh or is it yeah yeah very very much so and it it um I, I don't think I planned it out this way, but I think somehow through my life, I just sort of fell in love with British Columbia, the place, the history, like all of it. And and I've been very privileged. Like I've been able to travel around the entirety of this province for work and see it pretty much all of it, um, which is not an easy feat and not a lot of people get to do it. And so um like and i'm a nerd so like i love reading about the history of british columbia and like canada and what you know how this place came to be and you know both pre-contact and post-contact but um so yeah it figures largely in my fiction um so my first novella which is a werewolf novella it's set here in prince george um the latest book that came out which is a series of short stories 
every one of them has a tie to northern BC in, in some way, even if it's in another world, I might have used the landscape as a as an inspiration, or it might actually be set here. So the lead story in that one is about tree planters. And as you can probably guess, tree planting is a big business up in this part of the world. So so yeah, it figures largely uh, place, um, notions of place. And I write horror and, and like, I don't mean to besmirch the part of the world that I live in, but um, Northern BC is a really good setting for horror. Like it's, um, that was something about the wilderness, the the vast area, the sparse population, the, the harsh climate at times, I think makes for really good uh, setting. And, and so it's fun. So, so yeah, I, I most definitely root um, my stories in this place. Um, and by place, I mean all of British Columbia. So um, there's a preponderance for stories here in the central interior and around Prince George, but I would just as soon write something set in Vancouver or Ida Gwaii or Bella Coola. Bella Coola, man. Uh, you ever go over to onto the island? Yeah. Yeah. I've spent a lot uh, of time there. Yeah. How about yourself? Have you been onto the island? So, somehow I didn't go over there. Like there was, uh, I, I never got booked over there, which was weird. Um, it's it's, there, it's, uh, and it's big. It's big. Yeah. It's, so it's, it's big. Um, and it's very like, depending on whereabouts you are on the Island, um, they're all very, it's all very different. So if you're down in Victoria, like it's, it's the capital of the province and it's, you know, it's, a busy small regional center um but it's very historic so you get lots of victorian area architecture there and you can definitely feel sort of like the colonial kind of aspects of it uh but you get to up to mid island nanaimo on the east side and you're in a pulp mill town and it's rainforesty but you've got good beaches water's pretty calm place like parksville really good beaches but then if you go to the west side um tofino ukulele um that's surfing country and like the it's open ocean uh, all the way across the pacific from there so the storms that roll in the waves that roll in um the beaches are miles long like it's just stunning like absolutely stunning and it's like that all the way up the island um through like campbell river um port mcneil um port hardy um it's pretty cool a guy could spend a life just exploring vancouver island and it would not be a wasted life in in my opinion um so if you ever get a chance um jump on it it's it's okay and it sounds like because you lived in portland for a bit eh yeah yeah like it's the same climate um probably a, a little a few degrees cooler than portland is at any given time but same idea you know wet coastal rainy you know beaches and stuff like that portland's a super yeah. cool town too actually yeah it was it's interesting it has a wild past um yeah. of like holy shit man like this story's uh, about that place um some of them are pretty pretty dark but um yeah you did know you, when yeah. you were in or how so how long did you live in Oregon from 1987 until 2019 so a few years a few years, man. So yeah. did you, because I've been fortunate to drive around Oregon. So I've been into Eastern Oregon. So I've been through oh, yeah. like a bend and then all the way out East. Cause my folks live in Southern Idaho, believe it or not. So, oh, whereabouts? Uh, Pocatello. 
Oh, Pocatello. Okay, cool. Yeah, I know Pocatello, man. Uh, a cool area down there, man. Uh, I was living in uh, Salt Lake City for a little bit, and so that's, was, a, cool, that's a cool town. Pretty, yeah, pretty quick drive over there. Um, yeah, yeah. So when driving down to visit Idaho, I kind of took advantage of the proximity to Oregon a few times. So drove through Eastern Oregon, and then all the way down to like Florence, and then up the coast all the way up to Astoria or through Eugene, you know, and then up the five and oh, like yeah. Oregon's like not a big state comparative comparatively. Um, yeah. but, and is it diverse? Like there's a lot of cool stuff to look at in, in Oregon. That's another place you could spend a lot of time just roaming around and exploring. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like kind of like, you know, same day you can go to the mountains or the beach or I guess the coast. It's not, you can't say you go on the beach in Oregon. Um, there's not really, it's not really beachy. Yeah. I guess is, is the, the way to put it. But, um, and yeah, man, like I love the, the high desert, man, the high desert. That's just something like, yeah, it is. I like that climate out there, like in Bend and, uh, oh, like Opa Pocatello and, yeah. uh, yeah, like so. Yeah, so like so. Are there uh, uh, hot springs up there, up in Prince George area? They're not great here, but in various parts in northern BC, there are. So there's some hot springs in Valemount, which is about three hours east of here, in a part of Kinbasket Lake, which is this gargantuan lake that's set right in the Rocky Mountains. Um, so there's hot springs there. There's hot springs on Haida Gwaii. There's actually hot springs not far from Bella Coola, if you know where to look. Um, hot springs south of Terrace. Uh, hot springs in the Nass Valley. And then there's also the, probably the most famous hot springs in northern BC. And, and listeners are going to laugh because this is not like a it's not a day trip it's a place called liard and you would drive let's see it would be five hours to fort st john from here four hours to fort nelson then another three hours up to liard so nine and three so 12 hours so 11 or 12 hours north of here still in british columbia um but you're you're at the very top of the province just before you cross into whitehorse there's a place called liard and um, it's like this natural hot springs. They built um, like a big parking lot and there's a change area and a deck around it and everything. But the coolest part about it is it can be like dead of winter up there and you're in boreal forest. But right there, there's ferns and there's all kinds of stuff. It feels like a kind of tiny little micro tropical climate. Wow. Um it's super cool. It's uh, if you like road trips and you like travel around this part of the world, it's a must see on the Alaska Highway um, and to stop at. And there's lots of legends around it, too. If you read the history of British Columbia stories about, you know, um, when settlers were first coming here about this, you know, mystical tropical valley that existed somewhere in northern British Columbia. And, and you know, some people had found it and some people hadn't. And of course, most of the tale is is bullshit like it's not you know it's not a valley it's not mystical there's nothing magical that i'm aware of about it um but it does exist there is a there is a, a basis for the for the myth and some of the stories around it and it's up there so yeah there's hot springs um there's hot springs all over bc but they're 
nothing within an hour or two of Prince George that I'm aware of. But that's the funny thing. There might be people here in town who listen to this. They're like, Joel's full of shit. Actually, there is a hot springs. We just didn't tell him. It's, you know, (laughs) 40, 45 minutes outside of town. We're not advertising it. Right. That could also be a possibility. (laughs) That could definitely be a possibility. Yeah. I mean, they're so easy for those ones. Like, just going to a place, and yeah, I, I, I ask, like, you know, where, where's the hot springs? Like, okay, where where do the, you know, where the locals go? And then like, ah, oh, fuck this guy. Like, yeah, <laughs> you, you will take you take you to this one. You can go to this one. Um, yes. And then the last one I they I was told about um, where I where I asked that question, it ended up. Uh, being a place where there was uh, a lot of orgies and stuff going on. And I was like, okay, well, <laughs> thanks for that. So yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's, yeah. that's the spot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe when you get the answer back, it's like be a little more discriminating, right. With, you know, yeah. whether it's the, or if it's an orgy hot springs, you know, maybe I'm not going to show up for that, but you know, right. they probably, when they told you that they were probably laughing hysterically thinking this guy, this poor bastard's going to go there. Yeah. Right. And he's going to stumble yeah. on some shit he didn't want to see. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. Well, shit. All right. That's what's happening here. Um, cool, man. Yeah. There, uh, that was up in, uh, like, and, and lava a hot spring. So it's, it's sort of like, it's how far is it? Not too far from Pocatello. Maybe, yeah, like maybe within, maybe within an hour or so. Yeah. And so there's about some... a, yeah. Yeah. It's on the road down to Salt Lake. If I remember correctly, it was, it's about an hour sort of Southeast ish. Yeah. I've been into lava. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that one, man, like, so there's some little offshoot right there. That's just outside of town uh, where there's a lot of orgies that go. I think the whole place, uh, there's, there's, there's stuff, you know, yeah. it's, it's cool, you know, whatever that, yeah. that's kind of what's going on there. But, um, so do other things kind of come into play, like with the, the history of BC or even like you're saying with legends, like, is there something up that way? Like, cause I know down in, uh, in the, the Coquihalla in, uh, Fucking, there's the uh, the Ogopogo in the uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, in uh, near Kelowna, man. And uh, is there stuff like that, like some sort of something up there, or is that something that's just like, yeah, it's just you know, not going to go in any any of the there. There's nothing. There's nothing up here that's like uh there's nothing quite like Ogopogo up here in the sense that Ogopogo is this big giant myth about this lake monster, like British Columbia's version of Loch Ness, um, that is, you know, specific to that lake, um, and has stories around it. Um, that's actually pretty unique in, in British Columbia. I mean, there's Bigfoot everywhere, right? So Bigfoot, Sasquatch, whatever you want to talk about, like there's been sightings all over British Columbia. And I think British Columbia is like Washington, Oregon, and Idaho, um is just like a mecca for sightings of uh, of that right so right. so this, this would probably be a good place not that i've written one but i would say anywhere in british columbia you're on pretty fair ground if you want to start writing you know bigfoot stories or maybe you know uh ogopogo stories the you know often this you got to be careful because 
there's a lot of stories about supernatural uh, creatures um, and spirits that come out of indigenous myth and legend in this part of the world that, you know, predate uh, Europeans coming here by, you know, tens of thousands of years in, in some cases. And, and I think there's a really um, emerging ground for artists to, to go in and explore those stories, but you got to be super careful because if it's not your culture, it's easy to misinterpret it and screw that up. Um, yep. And one of the things that I was taught um, is I spent back when I was a reporter, I spent two or three days out on the Tsailas Reserve, which is out um, near Chilliwack, just sort of east of Vancouver. Yeah. And one of the things that I found when I was out there uh, learning about uh, the people and the culture there is that Sasquatch is actually their national symbol. And it's not a scary monster like it is in, you know, sort of Western European movies. It's actually a symbol of luck. If you happen to to see this uh, a Sasquatch or something cool. in, on the land, then you are considered lucky. That's a blessing. Um, and that was a wake up call for me for somebody who loves monster stories um, and is going to sit them and base them in, in British Columbia to be really, really careful about that. Um, because those, A, those aren't my stories to tell. It's not my culture. Um, but B, I also don't think you can ignore it. Like, I, I think, you know, whether you're, you're white or you're indigenous or you're a person of color, if you're, if you say, okay, well, I'm going to write stories and I'm going to base them in British Columbia, um, you have to acknowledge the, the, the breadth of history that's here. And so you, it's this continual question for me around, okay, so I'm going to write stories. They're going to have monsters here. How do I, you know, include and make sure I'm I'm being inclusive of, you know, Indigenous people, Indigenous history uh, in this place, which is really cool. Um, yeah. And, and so, so fascinating to learn about um, without, you know, twisting it into something that is disrespectful to the culture. Um, so where that lands for me mostly is um, I invent the creature and the monster, uh, typically. And it will be something that um, maybe is a species that find that is that exists here that something you know weird is going on with. So um, the lead story, and it came from the trees, the one about the tree planters. It's about beetles, parasitic beetles um, that a group of tree planters stumble on uh, in the forest outside of Prince George, and it takes over their body. It kind of hatches in them, and then they become like it's a, a gruesome, disgusting kind of beetle. But like, what's and then you ask the question, well, what's the history? Well, yeah, there's beetles in northern BC. So that's number one. But the bigger history here for the last 15, 20 years has been the pine beetle epidemic, which has devastated our forests and killed most of the, the mature pine in northern British Columbia. So we actually did have an infestation of beetles. Now, it didn't manifest itself as a parasite that takes over the human body, but yeah. it, it devastated our forests um, and devastated our forest industry. And by extension, then devastated our communities and, and the people who relied on that industry for for their their livelihood. Um, so that's kind of where I come in with it. I try to strike this balance of being reflective of the area without weighing in on shit that I have no business weighing in on. Yeah, that's a good way to do it. And uh, so does that kind of put you in like, do you have to... Is this like something that comes up in your head or is it you just sort of like 
process that and just kind of go through it real fast. You got, do you have to like think about this and go through kind of what you just sort of talked to me through there in your head? Um, yeah. Before yeah, you get into it. It's different for everything, right? So like the novella that I wrote that's based here, Wolf at the Door, it's a classic werewolf story. So I, so I didn't really go through that. It's about a, it's about a family um, that's all come together for a Canadian Thanksgiving dinner, which is in October. And uh, none of them get along and they have a terrible dinner, um, mostly just because they don't get along and they say things to one another that they shouldn't have say, said. So if you've ever seen National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation and you're thinking about the dinner scene with the dry turkey and everybody's at their wit's end, that's, right. the, first, that's the first half of that novella. And uh, the second half is when the werewolves show up and start eviscerating people and and sort of their that now this family's requirement to figure out how they're going to get along to survive the night. But from a supernatural perspective, it's it's set in a house. It's set in October. It's on the outskirts of Prince George. Um, and so those broader themes about history and culture and stuff that I didn't really need to to consider or bring into directly because um it's a werewolf tale um and so it's just a classic werewolf tale it's not that um not overly uh complicated but there have been other stories like it came from the trees um there's a novel i'm working on right now that's actually the setting for it is is like a bella Coola. it's on the central coast um and where there are indigenous characters and I, I did have to think about okay so how do i do this in a way that's that's respectful and balanced and without, you know, diving into some nation's, you know, myth, mythos, mythology, um, and then butchering it um, in an attempt to write a really cool supernatural story and, and screwing all that up. So there are times where, yeah, I'm thinking about it a little bit more in depth, depending on place and, and character and all those other things. And then there's times where, no, I'm just writing a shitty old pulpy monster story and, and this doesn't really, you know, factor into it. But I think you've got to be, there's a, a degree of self-awareness in all of it that I try to manage. And I'm not going to claim that I'm perfect on that. Um, but, you know, hopefully I'll get better over time. Yeah. And that's, that's what it matters. Like, you know, you're, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. Um, so then are you like talking to anybody uh, or are you like, I don't know, because it's kind of hard. Like then, it's like, well, I talked to one person from, from the, but that's something that's also hard. That like I, I, you know, find issue with a lot of times. And it's like, oh well, here's one person from this thing. Let let them represent every single person. It's like, yeah. Well, you don't know if you got crazy fucking Freddie over here. That's yeah. like a fucking whack job. Like I don't want that to represent everyone that yeah. is in my whatever um certain demographic um but you know so do you have to do like yeah you don't have like a certain number of people you talk to or like uh do you just do your research yeah i think it's a combination um and again it's story dependent or what you're trying to create that's that's dependent so um one of the things that you know 
I've been fortunate about uh, to have and, and living in this part of the world does it and the nature of my day job does it is you get to know a lot of people in different parts of northern BC and British Columbia. So you actually have a lot of people that you know and in, in, in you know in other contexts that you could reach out to and just say, hey, I'm trying to get this piece right. I think you've got to get really clear around, okay, well, you know, like I'm not going to be token here. Like I'm not going to, I'm not going to spend three months, you know, getting every little detail um, in my head absolutely correct for what is really a paragraph's length in a story. Like the the juice ain't worth the squeeze on that. Yeah. Um, and so you've got to figure out, you know, where you can hover, where you can generalize from a research perspective um, so that you're striking a balance. There is one, there's a couple of stories in the latest collection. Uh, it came from the trees because it's actually, that's a collection of five stories. There is two stories in there where I, I very specifically went out and got some help from people who had different backgrounds to help me clarify things. So one of them is a science fiction thriller about teleporter technology um, and a couple of physicists who invent it. And basically the airline industry wants to kill these guys and shut down their research because teleporter technology, of course, would put an end to the airline industry. Right. So a, fr a friend of mine at the university here locally, he's a physicist. So I, I actually, I based that story in the most recent uh, research in that field around where we're at right now with inventing teleporter technology. So there was a couple of details in the story that I did want to get right so that it, it, it felt like the two main characters who are physicists, like I'm not a goddamn physicist, so I don't know how physicists think or what they say. Um, right. I, so I wanted that piece to when they're speaking or what they're thinking about, I needed it to resonate. I needed that to feel like it was true. So I went to, to my friend and said, Hey, can you take a look at this and give me some advice? And, and you do have to acknowledge to your point, like it's only one person, right? The, yeah. the, the other story in there is called the silent screamer. And it's about a couple of teenagers who end up in London, um, trying to repatriate some cultural artifacts from their nation here in British Columbia at a private museum. And then they end up, um, caught up in this private museum that's also captured and, uh, like an eldritch god. Um, and okay. there's a piece in there around a raven mask and so i needed and that does draw on a broad generalized um sort of history and mythology of the raven myth from from indigenous culture here in, in british columbia and so i wanted to get that right so there was a lot of reading into you know different origin raven myths uh, of nations to understand them around British Columbia. And I did actually um, seek out a, a scholar who specializes in that area uh, to get her opinion on it and, and pass muster. And what I had to be careful of too is just because that individual has given me their advice, that doesn't serve as an endorsement. So like if I still screw it up, if it doesn't land, um, I can't go out and, and claim and point to that person and say, well, they told me it was okay. No, I still own all of this, right? And and have to accept, um, you know, if I screw it up or I, you know, misinterpret something or I'm in any way disrespectful. So I think you, you're always inherently, you know, taking a risk. You want to get it right. You got to balance it with the amount of time you want to put research into it. Um, but you got to own it. It's your art at the end of the day and so you research to the extent you want um to back up a story that you're creating or make the decision if you don't want to do that then don't write those stories um leave those for others 
And then, so are you putting people, you know, like directly into the stories or people yeah. based around anyone yeah. or you don't want to mention no. Like you're going to have a friend or a family member be like, Hey, that kind of seems like some of my characteristics. Yeah. I, I, it probably because I'm a shitty writer. Um, but I, I couldn't, even if I tried, I could not recreate somebody on the page as a facsimile of somebody in, in real life. I, I don't think I would ever get that correctly. So, so I actually don't fear that I would accidentally fall into that where one of your characters is that person. Um, I would say it's true that for all characters and all character creation, like it's, it seems to me anyway, that you are drawing on characteristics, attributes, um, styles of speaking, styles of acting, um, you know, uh, from people you've run into in your life, things you've seen before. Um, It would be difficult to create characters um, with characteristics and attributes that you've never seen before. How can you write about that if you've never seen that in somebody before or shade of that? Um, yeah. but I've, I've never written a character who is like, that's that person or that's based on that person. I think a, that's, that's disrespectful. I think B, you're just lining yourself up for, for failure. And if you're a creative writer, like for crying out loud, you should have the ability to just invent people from scratch. Like, why would you base a character off of somebody, you know, unless that is the story, like that is the story you're trying to write is about something that this person did and you novelize them and, and whatever. That's a whole other, that's a whole other conversation. Um, but for me anyway, I, I just think, well, you just invent somebody and you draw it and you figure out who that person is and draw in characteristics from your experiences through life. And hopefully if you've done a good job, you flesh them out to seem like a real person, um, then go from there. Yeah. Uh, my friend Derek always says what with any character creation, the, the way that you know that your character or like that, you know, your character um is if you can take that character and have them like you know doing their mundane thing and something happens like he said the one he uh, sticks with me is if they go to a fast food restaurant and they order something and their order gets fucked up how do they react yeah and uh yeah, that's like, a really, yeah yeah you can tell that yeah that's a, i think that's great advice um and I think there's like, as you get into the craft after a while, you start figuring out these little hacks for yourself for creating characters that are dan dynamic and real. One of the things that I do, especially for a longer work, if I've got, you know, main characters is I will take the character and I'll quickly jot out notes of, okay, who they, who they were, who they are, who they want to be. That's good. Yeah. And, and I, I got that from another author. I'm not going to claim that's my idea. It is not my idea. That's somebody far smarter than I advised that years ago. And um, it works, man, because especially in a longer work where you're trying, you've got kind of a dynamic character arc for that person. Um, you, if you plot that out in front, you can actually see that reflected in, to your point, um, the drive-through reactions, right? Like, are, who yeah. are they channeling at any moment? Are they channeling who they want to be? Are they channeling who they are? Or are they channeling who they were? Um, and that is really interesting. And I find it of the two that the most interesting dichotomy in that to play with is the who they are versus who they want to be. 
there's like that's such um fertile ground for conflict and both of both of those things are a result of who they were or what their experiences were and so if you start to flesh that out now suddenly you've got you know back history these are the things that they did or the things that happened to them or that they experienced that made them who they are but who they are isn't quite who they want to be um and so articulate that so that's helped me um to i i think uh, i'll claim i only readers can truly say uh create characters that are feel real are believable do you have characters that are reoccurring or that are planning to be reoccurring or um do the does your world uh that you've created does it is it all in the same you know whatever same universe or world or whatever yeah yeah great question so as much as i tend to write for these days i come out of a background of deeply loving high fantasy and and serialized stories so all the like i grew up with dragonlance so like for me i love that that type of universe where you've got recurring characters there is only two stories right now out of mine where you have a recurring character um but i it's something that i am actually planning this year to there's a couple of characters where i want to do a couple more almost serialized adventures um and so why why is that first of all um i'm a huge fan of robert e howard and his fiction particularly conan um like just love it um and love (laughs) love sword and sorcery stories and i love that recurring character um same with like michael moorcock and and sort of the elric stories love that stuff so there was about a it was about a year and a half ago now so it's coming up on two years ago there was a publisher in the states um who did a call out for splatterpunk westerns i also love westerns so I was like, hey, I've never written a Western before. I'm going to write a Western and submit to this call. And so I did. And it's a splatterpunk Western horror story um, uh, with a character named John Hawes, who's a luckless cowboy. Uh, it doesn't matter. Like, he's a good guy. He's solid, salt of the earth. Um, but it doesn't matter what he does. He always finds himself in, you know, trying circumstances. And then he has to shoot his way out. That's kind of that's that he's that character. Right. Yeah. And so I wrote the story and it they it got accepted. So it appeared uh, and I loved writing it. Cool. And so when I was putting together this most recent collection uh, last summer, I I wrote a follow up story. Uh, it's another John, John Hawes story and John Hawes rides again. And, and in this case, you know, comes across a death cult and, and, and you know, an eldritch monster um, somewhere out in this, you know, Western esque world. Um, so it's in the collection um, and I love doing it. And there's another story in this collection that I think is the first of what I hope will be a number about this character. And it's a, it's a kind of a grim, dark fantasy that is not set in this world. Uh, it's a new kind of fantasy world, but it draws its geography from British Columbia. No question. Um, and it's about an escaped um, former pit fighter who's trying to outrun, you know, an invading army and the adventures that kind of pop up along the way. So in both of those, I want to, I want to take those characters further and play with them. 
And the reason being is I love stories that are pulpy and page turners. And I think that they're, you know, two characters that are primed to sort of reappear, reappear again and again. And the kind of thing that you would have found on a newsstand back in the 40s or 50s. Yeah. And what you would have picked up and started uh, reading and. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. Those they, pages and... There's there's this always this question that pops up around audience that people are like well who are you writing for joel and like th honestly the answer and this may be like maybe this is extraordinarily unprofessional but the answer is me like it, it is selfishly me because i can't for whatever reason fathom an audience i can't wrap my head around some audience that a is interested in the same things that i am b but then like how does it so you're like oh okay well i'm writing for an adult audience that likes fantasy well what the hell does that mean like that's like that's not very concise so for right. me, to your point, stuff that I would have read, that's that's what I'm creating. And my hope is that there's more than just me out there um, of people who like this kind of fiction um, and that it will eventually find its readership. So so that's sort of what's going through my head is, as I'm creating a story is what's going to get me to the next page. And that's always the goal that I have is I'm just trying to get the reader to the next page without them noticing. And if I can do that enough times, I can get them to the end. And I figure that if I can do that well enough, then maybe I'll sell some copies and, and people will, you know, come back and keep reading my fiction. So how do people get to the, the first page of your book? How, how can they do that? Or either uh, your books? Because you have you two. Yeah, uh, go on Amazon uh, and buy them. So there's an author page there, Joel Mackay. Uh, you can find it there. Both of my 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 first two books are there. It came from the trees and Wolf of the Door. And you can find me also on, I still say Twitter because I can't wrap my head around yeah. X, um, but Joel C. Mackay on Twitter or author Joel Mackay on Instagram or threads. So that's kind of where to to find me and my stuff right now. Sorry, I mispronounced your name. I I thought it would have been straightforward uh, when when we started, uh, and that's something I try to like make sure I do. And like, oh, oh, don't, just... don't apologize, man. It's all good. It's uh, Mackay McKay. It's an argument amongst members of the clan. So okay. Like, the clan is a thousand years old, and there isn't even an agreement on whether or not on the spelling for one. Uh, and B, uh, is it McKay or Mackay? So that's been an argument that's been going on in the clan for, well, I guess forever and a day. So maybe I have it wrong. I don't know. There's people <laughs> people in the clan that would say that I would. So there you go. Cool. All right. Well, um, yeah, thank you so much for being on. It was, yeah, great getting to talk to you and get to where we got to, whatever that was, uh, wherever that was. And I, I like that. So, yeah. yeah um, thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet, man. Good, good luck, and uh, yeah, we'll see you on down the road. All right. Yeah. Take care. You too, bud. All right. That's Joel Mackay. Ah, Mackay, and I'll put links. He said at the end where you can find him on there, so I'll at least put those. I don't think I have that Instagram one, so I'll put the Instagram or X. Uh, you know, one of those. Some in there, so you guys can find him, or just go to his author page on Amazon. That's probably easier. So. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And that is the show. Man. Boom!
It's Rusty Diamond, motherfucker. It's Rusty Diamond, motherfucker.